Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, a podcast engineered by Fractal Recording and produced by me, your host, Laura Shin, a Forbes contributor covering blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and fintech. Thanks for tuning in. If you've been enjoying this podcast, I would so appreciate it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to Unchained on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help others find the show. I'd also like to extend a big thank you to our sponsor, OnRamp. Branding isn't just a logo. Your brand is the essence of who you are and what you offer your customers. OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that provides its clients with concise and exceptionally designed branding, websites, and marketing materials that will resonate with your audience, affect its purchase decisions, and ultimately grow your business. You can learn more at thinkonramp.com. My guest today is Frederick Voss, Vice President of Blockchain Innovation at NASDAQ, one of the leaders among financial services companies working on incorporating blockchain technology into their products. NASDAQ was the first incumbent to launch a blockchain-based product, NASDAQ Link, spelled L-I-N-Q, which is used to manage shares in private companies. It has also launched an effort in Estonia to create an electronic shareholder voting system that uses blockchain technology. And last year, the company unveiled a financial framework for clients who want to incorporate blockchain into their products and services. Welcome, Frederick. Thank you, Laura, and thanks for having me. So tell us what you do at NASDAQ. Yeah, so my uh, contribution to uh, Nasdaq's blockchain innovation project is uh, I work with the C-suite on what our corporate objectives should be across the uh, entire Nasdaq, proposing uh, strategies for uh, achieving those uh, objectives. And I do also get involved if we have, you know, investment opportunities in uh, in the space. Okay, such as, for example, one that I know of is an investment that you made in Chain, which is also your partner. Absolutely, that's correct. And uh, what are some others that NASDAQ has made? Well, actually, in the blockchain space, uh, Chain is uh, so far, uh, I think there will be more, but so far our only uh, investment uh, in sort of parallel uh, financial innovation tracks that we're working on, like machine intelligence, we we have done other uh, investments, for example, in a company called Digital Reasoning. But uh, in blockchain so far, it's been uh, Chain. And what was your background before this role? My background is really in uh, the commodity uh, derivatives space. I've been involved in exchange and clearinghouse operations for commodity derivatives since since the mid-90s, actually. And how did you end up learning about blockchain technology? Yeah, so uh, my previous role as uh, co-heading our European commodities business, I've had that role for, for six years, and it was sort of time to do something else. And at that 
stage. This was early 2015. Nasdaq was uh, looking to expand its, uh, you know, blockchain innovation uh, initiative and was looking for a person with some, you know, commercial background in in the space, uh, in the capital market space. And you know, I got the question if I was interested in the role, and uh, that's uh, the way it went. And had you heard about Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies or blockchain generally when they approached you about that? Yeah, I've heard about uh, Bitcoin. Uh, I cannot say I knew a lot about it, and in particular, I wasn't familiar with sort of the technology upon which Bitcoin uh, operated. So uh, that that was new uh, new to me actually when I took up the role uh, almost two years ago. And why did other you know other than wanting a change of I guess a change in in your work. Why did you decide to take the role? Well, I've always been uh, uh, interested and intrigued by the way capital markets function. So, you know, uh, aspects of liquidity, market structure, uh, capital markets for the good of of society, and and reform and change of capital markets. I, for example, been involved in various projects, you know, closing trading floors, going electronic instead. And, and I found it intriguing that while the front end, the trading part of capital markets have gone through a fantastic amount of innovation over the last, let's say, 20 years or more, the post-trade part is very much uh, unchanged. And, and this this is a technology that has the potential to uh, be contributing to a reform and enhancement of on that part of capital and financial markets. So that, that was intriguing to me. So let's talk about NASDAQ's main blockchain initiatives. I briefly described them at the beginning of the call, but can you go into more detail around, around what they are? Yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, there are three areas that are of interest to us uh, when we when we think about blockchain and capital markets. That is not because those three are exclusively uh, interesting, but they are the ones where we have started and that are of keen interest to us. And they are, you know, as I mentioned, the post-trade plumbing on capital markets. It's regulatory transparency. It's the relationship between issuers of an asset and the investor of the asset. And when we look at our projects, ideas, initiatives, POCs, etc., we typically sort of validate them against those three uh, buckets of uh, interest. And we have a we have a pretty large portfolio actually of projects. Um, so far, we only publicly announced two of them, and uh, you know, as you mentioned, the uh, private company link solution and the uh, the voting project in Estonia. But we do have other uh, projects initiatives that we're working on as well. Some are very, you know, R&D and laboratory uh, oriented, and they, they will probably never be announced. Uh, and some are more commercial in nature, and we will, you know, see if some point we'll, uh, we'll go public with them. Okay, well, let's dive into some detail on Link, for instance. How would you say, how does that work? Yeah, no, I think you can't really conclude on that yet. It is still a solution in 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 evolution. Uh, we are looking to expand the capabilities of the link uh, solution uh, in actually in many dimensions. We are looking to expand the user base. We are looking to expand the feature set, possibly geographically uh, as well. So it's by no means a done deal. But actually, can you just start with what it is, you know, how it works, like what the product is? 
Yeah, so it is a uh, blockchain-based solution that allows a private company to issue shares, transfer those shares to uh, its uh, investors, and if there is a secondary market trade, transfer of those shares between the investors. Um, And the intriguing part is that this is done electronically uh, using blockchain technology uh, and with no trusted third party like a depository in the middle. So it's an electronic version of the current sort of peer-to-peer basis upon which that market operates. So it really not only validates the technology, it actually validates the alternative market structure of, uh, you know, transfer of ownership of of, of uh, digital shares in a in a peer to peer network, and that is that's sort of the key part of the Link initiative as it stands right now. And how does it compare to previous systems for managing those types of services? I mean, in and this varies, of course, from country to country and market to market. But if we talk about the U.S. market, that that historically has been basically paper based. Uh, when a com- private company issues shares, it typically does that in a in a paper certificate. Those paper certificates are then transferred to uh, to uh, uh, investors in those companies, and then between investors, if there is a secondary market trade. So this is this is making that market more efficient making it more electronic, less prone to errors. Uh, and of course, in, in other markets around the world, even private shares are sort of uh, electronic and um, uh, decertified. Uh, but in those markets, you typically have a uh, trusted sort of database in the middle, a, a depository or a registry. And of course, Link demonstrates that uh, you don't have to have that. You can continue to operate this on a peer-to-peer network basis. And so in terms of the ways that blockchain, in this case, improves upon the existing software is that it probably eliminates some of the problems that you might have with a paper-based system, such as if, let's say, an investor or an employee receives more shares in the company or something like that, you know, then, you know, you don't have sort of like these invalid previous paper certificates that are floating around or, you know, or and just the fact that you don't have to deal with paper in general means that it's just much more efficient. Is, is that a correct characterization? That is a very uh, accurate characterization. Basically, it helps the company to uh, better keep track of its uh, capitalization table, basically who owns what in the uh, in the company. Uh, you will see much fewer errors. You will also see faster processing of these transactions. So it is both reducing errors, but actually uh, enhancing, you know, let's call it operational productivity in that, uh, in that uh, ecosystem. And what about the electronic shareholder voting system? How does that work? Yeah, so uh, the uh, sort of the technology stack is very similar. Uh, we leverage the uh, the chain uh, um, uh, core uh, blockchain ledger protocol for for both these cases. We do have a middleware, the financial framework that you alluded to, and then we've built sort of some unique applications in each of these cases. So the applications for the voting uh, solution looks a bit different from the applications for the private company. Uh, application, but uh, so this the technology stack is very similar. In the uh, voting case, it is a slightly different um, use case, of course. In that, the key things we wanted to verify there was um, 
you know, we had wanted to force ourselves to work with the issue of identity. How do you identify a, a, a person on the blockchain? How do you identify a person representing a company? How do you work with delegation of rights on the blockchain if you want to delegate your, your voting rights from yourself to a, to a proxy, for example? Um, so uh, we wanted to challenge ourselves on, on a different, uh, with some different challenges in, uh, in the voting case. And, uh, you know, that's why we took on that specific project. And so in general, for this electronic shareholder voting system, what problems exist in the current method that you feel blockchain can resolve? I mean, first of all, this implementation allows the companies in uh, Estonia to participate remotely in the uh, in the AGMs, for example, in the shareholder meetings, which hasn't been uh, possible uh, before. Uh, but more importantly, it allows the uh, casting of votes uh, remotely as well, and it allows the delegation of those uh, votes. So, if you own shares in a company, you will be you'll be given basically blockchain-based tokens equaling to the uh, number of shares you own. But then you can you can transfer those on the network, and you can, for example, give them to me, and I can vote on your behalf. And because of the the, the strong capabilities of blockchain technology to keep track of you know provenance of a digitized asset, and in this case, a vote. We can follow the whereabouts of these votes, and one problem that solves is, for for example, if you're a proxy today, it is very difficult to demonstrate to your uh, uh, to the the person who delegated these votes to you that you actually voted in accordance with the instructions. If you leverage the foundational capabilities of blockchain technology, that is very easy. You can basically see that the voting token was you know cast in either the yes or the no ballot and and that is a a, a also a problem that the technology helps solving uh, in a in a very good way in both these cases you know nasdaq link as well as the electronic shareholder voting system what would you say is the benefit of using blockchain here like how did you decide to use blockchain as a solution to improve these systems as opposed to some other technology I mean, first of all, when we set out on these projects, and they were both started in, uh, you know, I think 2015 or early 2016, the, the key objective of these projects was actually learning. Uh, we wanted to acquire learning on the technology, but also around legal and regulatory aspects, also around uh, you know business model questions uh, and about integration and transition questions. So the the key objectives for us were actually learning. They were in 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 that early stage not intended to be uh, you know sort of highly profitable products. Uh, as we now are three years down the line of our blockchain uh, project, we're sort of shifting the objective somewhat. It is going to be less about learning and actually more about you know genuine commercialization going forward. And that also means that we will sort of a little bit tweak the nature of our, our project and become more focused on, on the satisfying needs that that clients in these use cases are willing to uh, you know you know pay pay for us to to sort of solve their problems and aside from the commercialization aspect how else do you evaluate whether a product or service could benefit from blockchain because you hear a lot of 
kind of joking in the industry, or, or I think there have even been comics that have gone around that have, you know, said like, oh, you have this problem, let's put a blockchain on it. And, you know, there's this perception that everybody thinks now that it's going to solve everything, when of course, that's not the case. So, you know, aside from just like business model considerations, how do you figure out whether or not a certain problem or service is is actually going to be improved by blockchain? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think it is it's worth putting it into context on on our overall innovation portfolio and sort of our our uh, long use of technologies for solving problems in capital and financial markets. And and you know, we 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 use and investigate machine intelligence. We work with cloud computers. We work with uh, com- cloud computing with uh, augmented reality, uh, cryptography in general. So we 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 don't think that we have. A, a hammer here, a blockchain hammer, and everything that we see is nails. We we, we think we can be pretty uh, focused and selective on the uses of the relevant technology for the relevant problem. But it all goes back to the, the problem and the market need that we're trying to solve and and identifying, you know, does that problem lend itself to a peer-to-peer uh, structure, for example? Does it uh, Does it have the need for you know provenance in the in the workflow for example that you that it's important that you keep track of where the asset has been throughout its life history which is very important for example in a private company example and when we are uh, you know when we are satisfied that you know we understand what is the what is the need here? What does a good market structure look like? What is a, what does the good market business model look like? And then we sort of map them a, a, across all our available technologies. And if we see that, well, for this particular case, uh, you know, the blockchain-based solution seems to be the best best fit. That is when we then that's when we try to uh, sort of you know deploy that technology. Uh, we we're not trying to sort of bend the the problem to fit the uh, technology because we have a, a very broad toolbox of, of many different technologies and, and we're trying to, uh, to to sort of find the best fit for the problem. And when we see that, you know, a distributed ledger infrastructure uh, is what this problem needs to solve, that is when we're looking to uh, use it. And I like, you know, how you are thinking about this in terms of this much broader toolbox of technologies. And yet I I know also that you launched this financial framework that enables companies to uh, use blockchain in many different ways. So can you first describe what the financial framework is? Yeah, the financial framework is a uh, a uh, yeah, it's a framework that uh, that allows strategically it allows the user to future proof its techno- technical roadmap. So it is it allows you to combi- to combine different kinds of data stores. It for example allows you to combine a a blockchain with a traditional ba- database. It allows you to combine different kind of blockchains. It allows you to move from one data store to another. So maybe today you want to use a traditional database with a traditional market model, but you may want to move to a a new model uh, and a a distributed ledger database. And then the way this all fits together on a modular basis allows you to do those changes 
uh, and do those uh, uh, sort of transfers from one technology to another without you having to change the whole stack. You can basically keep your application layer constant. And vice versa, if you want to move your applications or change your applications uh, for various reasons, you know, you want to change a collateral management application or a settlement application or payment application, you can swap those out without having to change the underlying data store. So it is a modular framework that allows a company to, uh, as I said, future-proof its technical roadmap for the future by uh, having this modular structure. So I am not familiar enough with the technology, at least, you know, kind of like in this sort of deep back end way to to fully understand exactly what some of this means in terms of future proofing. But can you walk me through like you gave some examples of different types of services that companies might offer where they might use this framework, like you mentioned collateral management or payments. What would be an example of, you know, how a client might use this financial framework? Yeah, so it it can actually be used by uh, almost any type of capital market uh, uh, participant. I think what is closest to us is, of course, our supply of solutions to exchanges, to clearinghouses, to depositories, for market surveillance purposes, for you know regulatory uh, transparency. So if you are a uh, central depository, for example, this will allow you to. Uh, use this framework, maybe unchanged today, but as the technology evolves, as your business evolves, it will allow you to continue to sort of adapt and transform your business uh, models without having to do uh, uh, significant uh, changes you, to your technology, uh, even as your business changes. And I think that is the key value of the uh, NASDAQ financial uh, framework. Uh, then, of course, if you're a broker, you could possibly use it as well. Or if you're a bank, I can see use cases for it as well. But, you know, NASDAQ's background has been in sort of exchange and, and CCP business. And I think that's where, it, that's where it sort of starts in terms of the use of the technology. And what makes this possible? Is it, is it blockchain technology? Uh, no, I mean, it is integrated with blockchain uh, technology, and blockchain technology is a potential key component of it, but uh, it, is, it, is, it is technology independent. You can use it with blockchain technology, or you can use it with uh, you know, traditional databases as well, and that is what makes it so flexible that it's not tied to a particular kind of uh, data storage. And it, also it is not uh, sort of tied to any particular uh, applications either. So it's a framework for capital markets uh, use that allows the user to be sort of flexible uh, in its use of it now and for the future. And who is currently using it? Yeah, so this is something we announced earlier this uh, year. We actually use it for our Estonia uh, initiative on the voting side. Our technology business that that pro, you know sell and provide uh, solutions to to our clients around the world uh, are in discussion with a couple of clients about the about the use of it. But it's a relatively new framework that we are uh, continuously enhancing. That we are you know looking to to the, you know increasingly deploy over the coming years. And is the business model for that software as a service? 
you can uh, you can deploy the Nasdaq Financial Framework either in your own data centers, but it can also be deployed in a in a cloud, definitely. Well, that's a great thought. I just want to pause things right here to bring in an important word from our sponsor, OnRamp. The best companies in the world obsess about branding. Killer branding will transcend your company and strategically and competitively position you in the market. Done well, a remarkable brand will affect buyers and their purchase decisions and give your organization a voice that sets you up for long-term success. OnRamp is a full-service creative agency that helps its clients maximize brand awareness, gain market momentum, and accelerate growth. Whether it's branding and identity for a new startup, redesigning an existing website to generate traffic and leads, or executing a custom design project or marketing strategy, OnRamp will get your organization strategically poised for the future. You can learn more and see examples of its work at thinkonramp.com. I'm speaking with Frederick Voss, Vice President of Blockchain Innovation at NASDAQ. So we briefly touched on this, but now that we have kind of a bigger overview of, of what you are doing at NASDAQ, what, how would you characterize NASDAQ's overall blockchain strategy? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned the three areas that are of key interest to us, post-trade plumbing, uh, regulatory transparency, and uh, relationship between uh, an issuer of an asset and the um, uh, holder of that asset, and to uh, to to sort of serve uh, those uh, areas, we we our strategy is basically based upon we develop applications that leverage the inherent capabilities of uh, distributed ledger protocols. We we actually don't uh, develop uh, those protocols ourselves. Uh, we we've been working and are working closely with Chain uh, as a as a protocol provider to uh, to us. We uh, leverage the fact that we are both the technology supplier to capital markets around the world, but we're also a service provider. You know, we run our own uh, exchanges, our own clearinghouses, our own uh, depositories, and that sort of gives us a unique insight in how these markets could potentially use the technology. So I think our strategic approach is one of, uh, you know, developing and having a history of developing high-quality uh, applications to uh, to these markets, and actually leveraging the fact that we that we use those products uh, ourselves, uh, and that gives gives us sort of a unique insight and understanding and capabilities of of of, of serving the needs of. Uh, capital market service providers, basically regardless of technology, but it's definitely very helpful when you're embarking on looking at a new kind of technology like blockchain technology. How do you see this technology helping the requirements you have, you know, for showing certain transactions to regulators? Well, one of the strengths of the blockchain technology is, of course, it's very, very good at keeping track of possession of a uh, digitized asset, especially in a peer-to-peer network environment. And, of course, with the technology, we think it's possible that you give a sort of like a special set of goggles to uh, to regulators. You know, you can give them a special kind of node in the, in the blockchain ledger networks that allows them to basically see what's going on. Uh, on a broader scale and, and, and with more transparency than uh, today. And that, that is, of course, helpful. That, that could potentially allow regulators to 
faster and in more detail see where you have potentially concentration risks in a in a in a market ecosystem or systemic risks involving in a market now of course this all remains to be proven but it, it looks to us like the technology could potentially have a lot to uh, to offer on that front and you mentioned earlier that things have evolved for Nasdaq in terms of the way that it's approaching blockchain, you know, three years ago, as opposed to now, what were the company's thoughts back then around what the technology would mean for NASDAQ? I mean, NASDAQ as being a, a technology in the technology company in the financial space for over for over 20 years. I mean, you know, as I said, we we investigate and explore all kinds of new technologies. So for us, you know, blockchain is more of a, you know, an ordinary work day than a Christmas uh, morning. So we, we take upon us for, you know, the benefit of our clients, ourselves, and actually we owe our shareholders uh, to to understand and explore all technologies. And I think the common theme, all new technologies, and I think the common theme for all of this is the quest for increased productivity, increased efficiencies, but also new uh, potentially new business models and new alternative market structures. And, uh, and three years ago, it was an idea. Uh, it was a desire to better understand the potential of the technology in capital markets. And now we see that there is you know, good hope that the, the, the technology has a potential in the future for a you know larger scale adoption in in capital markets so our understanding is better we um, understand that there is a long way to go before we see a very wide scale adoption of the technology in capital markets but we think now it looks more promising now than than we thought three years ago uh, I think is a good way of characterizing the situation oh wow well that's interesting to me because you know, as I mentioned, the cartoon where every, every solution, it's it, the joke is that every solution can, every solution uh, can be applied through a blockchain. But because of, of that sort of like derisive attitude that people are abusing it or, you know, or don't know what to do with it or overusing it, um, I'm actually surprised to hear that you are more optimistic about the potential. What do you feel like you've learned over the last three years? I mean, first of all, it, it it won't be useful for all kinds of problems and, uh, you know, all kinds of market structures. But we certainly see that there are cases and situations where a technology that is strong on keeping track of ownership of, of digitized securities on a peer-to-peer basis could play a significant role, I think. But ultimately, this comes down to the market participants and the choice of their market structure. So today, many markets are, are using a trusted third party in the middle, like a CCP or a CSD, and they, you know they are happy with that. And one should not try to squeeze in a, a technology that is not fit for that purpose. But on the other hand, we see markets like, for example, the private company market in the U.S. that lends itself very well to this kind of uh, structure. It all actually already has that kind of structure, but a, a, a blockchain-based solution could be superior to the technology that is currently at hand. So uh, we, we, we think it has the role to play, but not for every kind of problem. I think I want to sort of new ones that re- reply a little bit. But why are you more optimistic now than you were even three years ago? 
yeah, first of all, I think it's because of a general better understanding. And of course, uh, the technology evolves. We see that the pro- protocols that, that are being worked on, uh, how they evolve in a, in a constructive and positive way. Uh, some of the problems that were identified with the technology, so many of them remains to be solved, but it looks promising that they could be solved i think we also have a better understanding of of the you know how does the how does solutions built on this technology fit into legal and regulatory uh, framework so it's a it's it's a better understanding of the technology and it's a better understanding of the potential role it could play and 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 therefore it looks to us like you know it, it could have a role to play on the capital markets in the future And when you say that there are still ways that the technology needs to evolve or develop in order to, you know, really be useful, you know, in all the ways that you can imagine, what are some of those things that you feel still need to happen? It's still very much sort of a hope and a belief. Uh, Many of these things remains to be proven in production and on a large scale. So you, of course, have issues around performance, scalability, security, how it fits into legal and regulatory frameworks, for example. So it is, it is more about battle testing the, uh, uh, the technology and uh, figuring out and identifying what works well, what doesn't work so well, what needs to be changed. And, you know, a couple of these issues are already being addressed. I mean, we, if we talk about performance, we talk about scalability. What's available now is, is much more performant and scalable protocols than we, uh, we had like only two years ago. So, so we, we see how things uh, evolve. We understand that there still needs to be work that needs to be done, but it looks quite promising to us. So as you mentioned at the beginning of the call, Chain has been your partner for much of your blockchain work. Why did you choose Chain and how does the division of labor break down between the two companies when you collaborate on something together? Yeah, no, we think they have, uh, they're a great team, first and foremost. They have uh, great uh, technology, uh, and that's, of course, two, two key uh, parameters when uh, choosing a uh, partner in our in our joint products of course we come with a vast experience of building uh, applications for for use in capital uh, markets so we contribute that they are uh, very good on the distributed ledger technology part we they have a great protocol and and we when we sort of sit down together and work on our joint projects you know i think uh, we help them understand how that technology fits in capital market and they'll they help us to provide a you know high performing uh, ledger protocol for what we need uh, going uh, going forward for our for link for example and for estonia and for some of the other projects we are working on so i, I think that's a very constructive match that we have with a with the guys at Link, at Chain, I mean. Yeah, when you talked about how you think they're a great team, um, I actually also had Adam Ludwin, the the CEO of Chain, on the podcast earlier, and um, you know he's always a very kind of insightful person to to talk with about about this technology. So something that's interesting to me is that I had spoken to you earlier and. You talked with me a little bit about some of like the more mundane aspects of adopting this technology that are just important to consider, like from a practical perspective. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, like when you really get down to the nuts and bolts of trying to incorporate blockchain into an existing product or service, what are some of the obstacles that you come up against? First of all, the, we talked about that uh, a couple of minutes ago about, you know, technology. the technology is not the finished product. So that will, of course, evolve over time. But actually, when we consider what are the bigger challenges to the adoption of, of the technology in, in capital markets on a large scale, we think that the technology will evolve faster than, than some of these other, uh, how, how some of these other mundane aspects will be addressed. And one area I touched upon and that is, uh, of course, the, the legal and regulatory landscape. Uh, many of these new alternative market models and ideas and, and proposals for products and solutions that, that emanate from blockchain technology, they are so innovative that they, they are simply not contemplated by existing laws and regulations. So the issue is not so much that regulation prohibiting the, uh, these new ideas. It is more that they were not contemplated and therefore you have a legal void and legal uncertainty. Uh, and when you have legal uncertainty, it is difficult for market participants to allocate a lot of assets to those kinds of solutions. So in parallel to technical innovation, we, we think there is in many areas a need for legal and regulatory innovation. And that is, of course, not a showstopper. That, you know, we change laws and regulations all the time, but it has an impact on the timeline because it's, it, you know, it's labor intensive work that, 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 that needs some time to, uh, to, uh, to happen. So that's one example. Uh, another one is, you know, going from vision to, to blueprints and the implementation of those blueprints is uh, also not a showstopper, but it's time consuming and has an impact on the timeline. I mean, we all hear about faster settlement, less need for collateral, cheaper solutions. So I think there is a common, there is a lot of people that subscribe to the visions of what can blockchain bring. But you need to go from those visions to to a blueprint of how do you want it to work, and and many of the benefits of the technology is 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 relying upon there being a network, an ecosystem of markets participating, adopting these new solutions based on the technology. But then you need to find an agreement across these parties of how do you actually want it to work. Yeah, we we may have faster settlement, but how fast? Are we talking T plus zero? Or are we talking T plus a couple of hours or are we talking optional settlement speeds uh, and and just take to take one example of one aspect that needs to be agreed upon and and agreeing on these blueprints also will will take take some uh, time and impact the timeline by which we see this technology being adopted and um, thirdly any any implementation of an, an adoption of a new technology doesn't happen in a vacuum. I mean, it needs to fit into an ecosystem of already existing infrastructure. So there is a need for uh, integration of the technology. And again, we do integrate, the capital market participants do integrate new technologies and systems all the time. But it takes, you know, it is work and it takes time. And also, of course, if we're talking about replacing old technology, there also needs to be credible transition plans in, in place before the market embarks on these big transitions. You want to know 
that you you are looking at a potentially successful transition before you invest in a new technology. So I think those three areas, uh, legal regulation, from vision to blueprint, and integration and transitions are three examples of, of sort of non-technical aspects that will be critical for the before we see the uh, implementation on of the technology on a large scale in existing capital markets. And can you walk me through what that would look like applied to, for instance, NASDAQ private market? You know, how long do you think it would take? Because as far as I understand, there's currently five clients there using the blockchain-based solution, and then all the others are still on the the previous version of the software that you had. So what are all the steps that need to happen in order to get everybody on board with Link? Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, if for the sake of argument saying that we are right in in what are the challenges to the wide-scale adoption of the technology, then, of course, we think that the commercial opportunities in the early stages will be those where you don't have a lot of those challenges. So we think that the sort of early commercial opportunities will be in sort of regulatory light environments and in uh, markets with relatively low uh, technical complexity. And uh, that is actually one of the reasons why we picked the private market as uh, one of our first markets. It is, it is actually a lower level of legal and regulatory complexity than uh, if you're talking about public markets, for example, and also the level of technical sophistication in that market is relatively low compared to, again to, for example, publicly listed markets. So, so for some opportunities, these three um, sort of mundane uh, obstacles to adoption are less prevalent. And of course, in those markets, we will we think we will see an earlier adoption of the technology, like for example in the private market. But that will serve as a great uh, you know test bed and data point for decisions on whether to deploy the technology for more complex and larger markets as well. So not all markets have the same level of that complexity. But even for Link, I thought that it would still take a while to roll out link to all of NASDAQ private market. This was referenced in an earlier conversation that I had with you. And at that time, you know, uh, you did say it will take a long, long time. And so I understand that this might have been the first application that you guys pursued because of these ideal conditions. But even then, I think it seems, at least that's what you seem to be saying in the previous interview is that there's still hurdles. Yeah, I think uh, what I uh, uh, hope I said was that it'll take a long time before every every company, every private company, and every investor in private companies uses the technology. Of course, it, it follows sort of a traditional adaptation and adoption curve that you know some some participants in these markets will be earlier adopters than uh, than others. Uh, and one of the good things is that you don't have to do a big bang and cross the entire uh, market. You can sort of adopt 
adopt this on a on a uh, let's say company by company basis but of course if you if you're a large private uh, uh, company with uh, maybe hundreds of, of shareholders and you want to switch from a, a traditional technology to 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 this kind of technology obviously it is more complex than if you're a to do that than if you're a a new startup with maybe a handful of uh, of investors because you you really do not probably don't want to have different technologies running in parallel for the same for the same purpose so uh you know uh, uh, adoption of the technology will not be uniform it'll be it'll be sort of happening over time and and and, and depending upon the size and the need etc of the various uh, companies who want to leverage the uh, leverage the solution so because I, at least I consider NASDAQ further along than most other companies in incorporating blockchain technology into its business, I have two questions for you based on your experience. What is the biggest or what has been the biggest surprise to you in terms of what impact you expected blockchain technology would have on financial services and what impact it's actually having? It's almost a little bit too early to uh, to answer in terms of biggest surprises. I mean, so far, I think compared to our experience from from looking at you know other technologies and and their use in cap- potential using capital markets, we're sort of following the same curve in a in a way. So so no surprises there. I think it, it, I don't know if it's a surprise, but the very positive thing has been that even though. Even if it were to be that blockchain doesn't actually have a a role in capital markets on a wide scale in the long term, uh, it has generated a debate about how do we structure part of our ecosystem. And it has also forced market participants or encouraged market participants to, to talk to each other about also some of the sort of collective uh, utilities. You know, are we happy with how the post-trade plumbing work? Are we happy about the level of transparency we provide regulators and so on? So uh, maybe that has been a little bit uh, surprising saying that the the energy with which the uh, the community has engaged in this space and and actually sort of encouraged the technology has sort of encouraged the uh, financial markets to sort of look at some of its problems with fresh eyes i think that has been positive and then as i said in the beginning of the call that you know all innovation for over 20 years was focused on the front end finally we have sort of innovation focusing on the on the post trade plumbing of of capital markets so I think those are those are positive experiences over the last couple of years, sort of regardless of what happens in the future, in a way. And based on your experience, what advice would you give to other companies also looking to incorporate blockchain into some of their products and services? Yeah, I mean, first, really be thorough in uh, in understanding uh, what uh, the the technology really is and what it can uh, contribute. Uh, avoid falling falling into the trap of doing POCs and projects just for the sake of of, of doing it. As you as you to your point before that, it, it you know it is not a solution to all to all uh, problems. I would also say that because the technology potentially enables you know new business models and alternative market structures it is not just a faster engine it has potentially more f- 
fundamental, more fundamental impact on, on markets than that. I think it's important to very early on engage your uh, business side and your uh, you know, supporting functions like your uh, compliance regulatory people in the uh, process. This is not just a, an affair for engineers and developers and technologists. And what new products and services do you imagine that blockchain could help NASDAQ offer in the future? So, uh, you know, first of all, some of those we'll, of course, announce when we uh, when we get there. But I think it has definitely a role to play in the in the issuance and the uh, uh, sort of settlement processes of, of transactions in in uh, in capital markets. And I I can certainly see how uh, it will allow us to provide new services to uh, to to markets. Link is an example of that. And as a technology supplier, it is interesting to see that now we're starting to get encouraging uh, signs of uh, people who want to sort of address new market opportunities coming uh, coming to us and looking for technology. So I think it, it potentially could lead us to uh, sort of create new technical solutions, building on the Nasdaq financial frameworks to uh, to satisfy some of the needs of the of the clients that have ideas and approach us with them. So I think we will see some new services from, from Nasdaq based on this. And I think we could also see some new technical solutions and products coming out from uh, Nasdaq as a consequence of this. Great. Well, where can people learn more about your work and get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, I think a good starting point is to get in touch with uh, me. You can always go to nasdaq.com, see more uh, about what we uh, do. We recently published a, a piece on our Estonia initiative in one of our uh, social media links. So, yeah, that's what I uh, would recommend uh, people to do. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about Frederick and NASDAQ's work on blockchain technology, check out the show notes, which are available on my Forbes page, forbes.com slash sites slash Laura Shin. Thanks so much for tuning in to Unchained. Check back in two weeks for the next episode. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please remember to review, rate, and subscribe to it in iTunes or your preferred platform. Thanks again for listening. 